This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first show of the new month, because we only did one last month because it was me. Uh, I was... It's always your fault, Chad. It is always my fault. That is true. He's he's not joking about that, is it? Well, because we can't have a podcast if it was left to me, because <laughs> I um I don't understand how podcasts actually get produced. So I, I yeah, believe that if, if Chad point. if Chad is out of pocket, there is no podcast. Yeah, I was. Uh, we were doing some home renovations, and uh, let's just say it was noisy, and I could not have done anything. Everything was a mess. Every room in our house was slowly became the catch-all for everything else that we had to move out of the other rooms. So uh, we're almost done. So I'm happy about that. I every time I live through a renovation, I can't stand that I have a renovation. I like the result, but man, I'm telling you that that actual renovation time is horrible. I just don't like it at all. I'm sure that revelation comes as a big surprise to uh, the listeners. <laughs> Somebody probably loves it. I, I just don't know those people. <laughs> The whole the whole renovation process, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the contractors love it because they make lots of money, but I don't think anybody likes living through it. If if you can go on vacation for the period of time that it's being done, you're probably fine. You know that, but I just go to your go to your beach house, Chad. Yes, I will. <laughs> so I want to talk about a, an important event occurring to the south of us uh, tomorrow, and I say tomorrow, knowing that early voting has already started. But in the state of Virginia, they are choosing a new governor. Uh, if you're not aware, governors can only serve one term in Virginia before they have to be gone for a term and then they can run again. So uh, Sheets Northam could not run again by law. Uh, that means Terry McAuliffe, who was governor before Northam, is trying to run again to win the, win the party. We won the party's nomination for the Democratic Party and he's trying to reclaim the governor's mansion. What he didn't count on was that he's him. And apparently, people don't like him very much. Um, and the uh, Glenn Youngkin, who prior to this race, I don't know that anybody outside of Virginia had ever heard of. Uh, I, I can't speak for you, Tony. I'd never heard of the man before he was running for governor. Um, and it should be a walk-off for McAuliffe because it's a blue state. I mean, it. The, the, the yeah, I mean, I don't it, remember Biden. Uh, I believe carried ten points. I think. By 10 yeah, I mean it was it was double it was double digits and and the reason for that is Virginia used to be red mm-hmm. but the swamp the expansion of the swamp particularly into northern Virginia has just turned it into a stronghold. So yeah, I agree. I mean I don't I didn't really know anything about Yunkin. No. I, mean, I don't even know if he's he's running on the Republican side. I don't know if he's a good candidate, but he's not doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's really impossible to be worse than Terry McAuliffe. So Yeah. um the most enjoyable part of this, of course, is the the mounting panic yes. among uh, leading Democrats, and they're panicked for a whole host of reasons. Because uh, you know Biden's unpopularity is at levels now which are becoming incredible, justifiably so. Yeah. His entire presidency is an epic disaster zone, and we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I think the We'll see what happens tomorrow. I'm still not convinced that the Democratic machine is not going to find a way uh, to to pull this out. And there's also hints 
that regardless of what uh, if the unthinkable happens for the Democrats and Yunkin actually wins this, that lawfare is already going to be in the works for for good old Terry. So they're they're already battening down the hatches that this is they will do the same playbook. It was stolen. It was racism. There was voter intimidation, et cetera, et cetera. Tank Abrams will come up from wherever she is to lend support. Um, again, it really is, it really is despicable, but this is what they do now. They, they simply don't accept losing mm-hmm. any, what they consider to be meaningful elections. But if even look, even if it is very close and Yunkins loses, what that is telling them is this bodes very ill for them, uh, coming up in 2022. And the amazing thing is that you would think we've talked about this before, that there would be some level of sanity and some adults in the room at the national level who would be tell who would be saying cuz this is obvious you need to stop with the left wing insanity mm-hmm. you need to dial it back you need to be you need to pretend at least for the next 9 months that you haven't gone crazy and that you need to get AOC and the squad and everyone from San Francisco off of the cameras so that people don't continue to drive your poll numbers into the basement and yet it seems like they just keep doubling down on this stuff well the, so there's a couple things i want to talk about and and you bring up the one is it that they keep doubling down because they think we have a very short window of biden being alive uh or sentient enough to actually sign his name without help or is it because they truly believe that even if you don't know you want this, we're going to give it to you because you, you just don't know you don't want it yet. So we're going to give it to you good and hard because that's what we do. We know better. Is it one of those two or is it something totally different? No, I think it's, I think it's largely the latter in that the democratic party is now a leftist party and, and they don't, they don't grapple with reality. They, they don't grapple with, um, what you're saying it does not make economic sense. What you're saying is not actually, rational, right? The real world results of this do not support your uh, great benevolent intentions. They they don't care about that. They they run on, uh, they're very much like a a hive mind and they will accept no opposition. They don't, they're not willing to engage in moderation or evaluate trade-offs. It's simply, here's the world that we are going to create and nobody's going to tell us different. I mean, you see, for instance, what's going on right now with the impasse over their $5 trillion boondoggle where one guy, uh-huh. okay, well, I guess two if you count cinema, but Joe Manchin um, is basically preventing them uh, to the, the gnashing of teeth, right, of many of the leftists of doing what they want. And what is it that they want? Well, they want the so-called reconciliation package of $3.5 trillion to be combined, uh, they, they have to go together mm-hmm. uh, as a deal with the so-called infrastructure bill. And this is being pushed by Bernie, right? Bernie is largely the author of this. Mm-hmm. And, and so what they're doing is with Manchin saying, in fact, he just came out today and, and made it even clearer that you need to pass the infrastructure bill, which is supposedly, you know, bipartisan. They could do that, right? <laughs> they could do that right now. Yep. 
uh, because I'm not going to sign on to this two for one mm-hmm. until I actually understand what it is that's in there, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, good luck, Joe. Uh, you're never going to understand yeah. what's in there. The point is you're not to understand that. And so because of one guy who is actually saying, huh, maybe because we're already, what is it now, Chad? Are we $28 trillion in debt? I, I, can't, I can't keep track. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't be – oh, and by the way, with inflation going through the roof and supply chain problems and utilities through the roof and gasoline through the roof. And what can we talk about? I wonder how all this is happening. It's just such an unfortunate coincidence. But nevertheless, to then sign on to another $5 trillion boondoggle, uh, which nobody actually knows what it is, which is being you know completely shell-gamed in terms of how it's going to be financed. It's four years of, of spending, and then the CBO is going to score it for a decade, and then what they're counting on is that it'll be in place, and they'll like the free stuff so that nobody will get rid of it, etc. But Going back to the original point, their party is so controlled by people like Bernie and Pelosi and AOC that what the the leftists are saying is fine. We're not going to do anything. We won't agree to pass anything, which I think is hilarious uh, that they're they're essentially self-immolating on this. Well, and, and, and we've talked about this before as well. Their gridlock is our gain. Not not passing something is a positive. It's not a negative, and people need to get out of the way and saying, well, so let's talk about that three point. It was further down the rundown. But so 3.5 trillion is what they're saying. We both know it's fuzzy math at best. Oh, it's, it's likely double that. At least double that. And that's in a 10-year span. So unless you think the country is going to end in 10 years, they're going to keep paying for it. Where is it going to come from? Now, the whole point being, if, if you and I are sitting here and spending money, according to Bernie Sanders, we have the money, let's just spend it. If that was true, you and I would be in favor of spend whatever you want. I don't care. If we don't ever have to pay the bill, just spend, spend, spend. But we have to pay the bill. We have to forego something else down the road to get this. And that's the part I think a lot of people misunderstand. They think, well, you don't care about whatever X is. It doesn't matter. It'll be the new one next tomorrow if they pass this one. You don't care about something because you won't spend the money. We don't have the money, period. We don't have it. We put $7 trillion into the economy last year for, for COVID. We didn't have $7 trillion last year. We don't have another $10 trillion this year. Just to add to it, we're borrowing this money, and we can't borrow it indefinitely. So if you think the Great Depression was just a bad dream, guess what? You're, you're asking for more of the same, if not worse. That isn't going to change simply because you want to help people. You want to give people something. Look at the supply chain issues. That, oh, by the way, yeah. um, who are the people that they want to give something to? Uh-huh. Oh, it's not, it's, not, it's not you. It's no. not me. No. It's not the, the middle class. It's not Joe the plumber. No, what that $3.5 tr- trillion largely represents is just payoffs mm-hmm. to various constituencies of the Democratic Party. Correct. And so when they say we want to give money back to the downtrodden and the needy, well, here again, so let's reflect on – the policies that have been implemented already by this administration within the first, incredibly, we're not even in a year in to yeah. this dumpster fire. Um, by and large, Chad, are those policies, let's just focus on the economic impact, helping or harming the people that they claim 
they claim that they champion. They are harming 100% and they are harming everyone. And that's what nobody seems to grasp. You think about this. Go to a restaurant. I went to a restaurant yesterday. It's, it's a local, it's a Northeast chain. Um, we waited for 45 minutes for a table. Okay. Not because there weren't tables available. There just weren't people to work the tables. And they had one cook in the kitchen for everybody in that restaurant. It took two and a half hours to get a meal. Now, okay. Maybe you think that's great. It's a great meal. It wasn't a great meal. Uh, it was an average meal. And the price went up dramatically from what it had been just a couple months ago. So that's what you have to look forward to. Slower service, higher prices, and smaller portions in a restaurant. Is that whatever? Is that what helping people? How is that helping me? Apparently. To help. Well, what's inflation right now is running at over 5%, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the highest rate in 30 years. Mm-hmm. I believe that's correct. Yes. I wonder why that's happening. Well, going back to what you were just pointing out, uh, when you keep pumping money that we don't have into the system, uh, this is this is not really difficult. I'm not an economist, but <laughs> if you look at historical trends, this is exactly what winds up happening. Now, just wait, because so far, um, you know, the Fed, we still haven't raised interest rates. Um, that is inevitable. Yeah. Sooner or later, reality is going to come crashing through like the Kool-Aid pitcher through the wall. And uh, so when inflation, good grief, when it hits six, seven, when are they going to do that? What that's going to do to the markets, every staple, everything going into this winter, what are the estimates now? For most people that live in climates like the Northeast where it's cold, 50 to 70% increases in natural gas and oil. Yep. Now, once again, it is hitting everyone, but the people that can least afford it, yes. the ones that the people like AOC and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi say they care so much from their smoking room and their mansion, <laughs> they, they stay up all night worrying about what's happening to them. They are getting hammered. Mm-hmm. You and I, we're not rich. We're, we're middle class. Yep. But nevertheless, we can sustain a, a winter where our heating bills go up by 50%. Uh, it's, it's not fun. No. But there's people that can't sustain that, particularly when you add on, oh, and, and gasoline and milk and, and basically everything that you're purchasing. Oh, and by the way, because inflation is 5% and you haven't gotten a raise, you're actually losing money because inflation is outstripping any earnings increases that you'd be receiving. All of this brought to you by the good, well-intentioned people of the Biden administration. But it's for your benefit. So you brought up the, the wage stagnation. Even if you got stimulus money, it didn't offset what you're paying more for. And I want to stress something there. The healthcare system is stretched worse now than it was under COVID the, the the heights of COVID, the early, the early days of COVID in the, in the last winter. What you don't understand and what, well, you know why that is though, Chad, right? Oh, sure. Sure. It's the it's the lines of unvaccinated zombies. That's it. That's it. Yes, they stretch around the block, Chad. Haven't you been listening to uh, Doctor Fauci? I, well, well, we'll talk about Fauci in a minute. Uh, the reality is, people got burned out last year because they didn't get any breaks, and there's less and less staff to work these these hospitals. And guess what? They're paying outsize amounts 
to get people to work, you can't sustain that. We can't continue. Oh, here's the other added benefit that you forgot to mention. Oh, what's that? Well, now we're losing or about to lose millions of first responders, including yes. police, yes. fire, nurses, doctors, because if they don't get the jab, yes. they're literally not going to be permitted mm-hmm. to provide life-saving services. And that certainly makes sense. Sure. I mean, sure. I mean, look, we wouldn't want our Navy SEALs, for instance, another group under the yes. gun, yes. Uh, the, the metaphorical under the gun, uh, because we wouldn't want them going out and risking their lives in all sorts of covert operations if, while they're underwater, about to detonate an enemy ship, somebody coughs, and then you come home and, and somebody has COVID. Yeah. So the, even though, of course, the vaccine doesn't prevent COVID or the spread of COVID or you dying from COVID, but nevertheless, it's really, really important that we force everyone to do that. So, But from an economic realm, oh. you're about to see – I'm reading about this now in New York City yeah. where they're about to lose – I mean hundreds of thousands of workers who are going to be prevented – by government edict from actually doing their jobs. And, and uh, the, the reason so I always look back and money is typically, in my opinion, the root of all of our problems. So the reason Joe Biden could pass a federal mandate for vaccinations that's far reaching beyond what you think it could possibly be is because everybody's on the dole from the federal government. Now, think about that. If you take a grant, if you're a university and you take a grant from the federal government, that means you are under federal auspices for any edicts they put out, meaning vaccinations or anything else they feel like doing. If you are a healthcare organization and you take money for Medicare, well, that's a federal government program. You're now under the auspices of the federal government. They can tell you what to do with your business. If you took the um, PPP money last year, Guess what? You're now under the auspices of the federal government for mandates. So it's a far-reaching uh, hydra that just kind of oozes into the, the furniture of, of this country. And suddenly, now we're all under the federal government auspices, even though there's no law that lets you do that. There's no – the Constitution doesn't say the federal government can tell private business what to do, but you took money. So when you take that money – you got to know there's a string attached. May not be today. It's like it's much like the the mob, you know. Oh, uh, go, you you can do me a favor later. We'll, we'll worry about that later. You just you take care of your family right now. Uh oh, knock knock knock. Here's somebody coming to the door. They they need something from you, and you better not say no because you won't have a business any longer. It's getting worse and worse every day because people don't realize there's strings attached to everything that the federal government does, especially if you're a Democratic leader. Well, I I would also say though that. We need to distinguish between what I would call um, legitimate strings, meaning sometimes when you take federal dollars within the law, we'll pretend that the law actually matters to this analysis because for the Democrats it doesn't. But nevertheless, there are sometimes consequences such as strings uh, that you know will flow from accepting government aid. On the other hand, the government has subjected the idea of what strings attach to indefinite and infinite expansion, meaning 
I do not believe, for instance, that because you took PPE money, which was a specified program, um, you essentially were able to treat them, even though they were called loans, as non-repayable loans if you stayed within certain parameters and you used it for payroll, etc. Now, the federal government might now claim that this allows us to tell you you can't drink extra large sodas and you must get vaccinated. Uh, those are strings that do not attach, but nevertheless, the government is going to say that they do. This is the this is the Joe Biden routine with the CDC declaration that they now control rental laws across the country. And Biden said the quiet part out loud, which is, listen, this probably isn't legal, but let's just let it keep going until somebody stops us. Gonna, you know, yeah, might yeah. as well. <laughs> Might as well get as far as we can down the lawless road before who knows. I mean, look, if they if they filed in the Ninth Circuit, we'll we'll, we'll get over that. They'll rubber stamp this. Sure. We want to talk about Dr. Fauci. And we hadn't talked since we haven't talked for a while. Uh, he was shown to be a liar about the gain of function. He, he said that didn't happen, didn't happen, could have happened, but didn't happen, didn't happen. And then we found out that he he directed funding to an organization to torture puppies for purposes I still don't understand. And somebody compared him to a Nazi scientist at the concentration camps because they didn't actually do the work, but they directed everything that was done to people, tortured uh, people and, and human beings. Is that a fair statement about Fauci? What? I mean, he what seems statement? Like that, he's a, that he's a liar? Well, we know he's a liar, but is, is he... I heard somebody say this today. He's truly evil, black-hearted evil uh, for his actions. And I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can say that, but I, I feel like he's been very disingenuous at best. And I think he has an agenda that he is hiding from public, but he's spending most of his time getting on, on the talking head shows at night. To what purpose? Is there nobody else that can be talked to? That, that can give them a line that they need. I, I just feel like we've, we've followed this path around Fauci for no reason that I can fathom no. for ill to I, us. I'm not, look, I don't know the man, so I can, I I can only go by what I observed of him. And while I may not be prepared to call him evil, I will say that he has been incredibly destructive. I find him to be unethical. Um, and, and I say that because he has lied repeatedly and he has been, this isn't my opinion. He has been shown to have lied and has admitted to have lied. Of course, these are the noble lies as Victor Davis Hanson would explain where, uh, because again, for the left, since they've already, they already know that they're the good people. They already know that the arc of history bends towards justice, etc. They're on the right side of that. And so anything that they do in the service to those ends is, by definition, proper and appropriate, regardless of how uh, bad it may seem in the moment, right? It's just the ends justify the means. And, and Fauci is a classic for that. But I mean, when you actually go back through some of the things that he has done now, uh, including lying about gain of function, and we now have information that is irrefutable that that was going on through the National Institute of Health, through uh, it's the Eco Alliance, uh, which was one of the main players, was this Dazak guy who's one of Fauci's cronies, who was also the guy that was leading the charge and drafted that letter that the media publicized initially from all of these so-called scientists that you had to be a tinfoil hat drooling nutcase to have claimed that it escaped from a lab. And Fauci, of course, said nothing about that. And then he's been battling with uh, Rand Paul. And Rand Paul has been proven to be correct uh, that they were taking bat coronaviruses 
in that lab, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and they were experimenting them in a way to make them more dangerous. And what they did is they were using mice with what are called ACE2 receptors, which are the human cell receptors that will allow transmission of the viral material more readily in humans, and they were injecting mice with a, uh, a, a virus that had a spike protein added to it, injecting it into those ACE2 mice, and guess what? It turned out that it was far more transmissible. And of course, we haven't found anything yet. We talked about this earlier, and I would encourage people to actually, some of this stuff is beyond, you know, most lay people in terms of the, uh, you know, the medicine and the science and the biochemistry, but we still have not found the bat, the bats that carry this virus. And we still haven't found the intermediate species through which the virus went from, as John Stewart put it, a pangolin kissed a turtle, right? We don't, we haven't found that. And of course, with all the other SARS type viruses, we have had multiple intermediate species before it went into humans. That doesn't exist either. And then you can even read more about the fact that there is what's called a furin cleavage site, which is a subunit of the spike protein that allows the virus to adhere and bind more readily with human cells. That is not present in any of the other SARS viruses that we have seen. And that's very odd And so all of this speaks to this was artificially generated somewhere, and I guess the logical place to start would be the laboratory in Wuhan where it actually escaped. So Fauci denied that. Fauci admitted he lied to the American public about masking. He's lied about herd immunity. And of course, for all very good reasons, Chad, because you and I are just too stupid to understand these things. We don't understand our self-interest. We might, like a bunch of ravening beasts, run around and do the wrong thing. And it's up to people in lab coats, smart people with credentials and badges like Dr. Fauci, to give us misinformation that's for our good. So would I say that he's evil? Perhaps not, but he's evil adjacent. (laughs) that's a fair statement evil adjacent is a good one uh i I just i'm tired of listening to this guy i don't think he's been he's been given a lot of credibility that he hasn't earned in my opinion and every time he he's basically the joe biden of physicians he's wrong on every count no matter what it is he's always wrong and yet we keep going to him like he knows what he's talking about and he doesn't seem to no and one final point and this was the tipping well actually it wasn't the tipping point for me i had already written him off earlier but we talked about this he goes on cnn right the the shill for all things fauci he's the emperor and they bring on sanjay dr sanjay gupta Who's, oh, yes. who's a pleasant enough man, but he's also, um, uh, you know, essentially towing the party line. But Dr. Gupta, who apparently was not properly vetted, was allowed to ask Dr. Fauci this very straightforward question, which was, now, doctor, um, because we're pushing the vaccines and everyone must be vaccinated. And Gupta says, well, what about natural immunity, Dr. Fauci? Because there's a study now from Israel that actually suggests that people, and now there's multiple studies, uh, that people who have natural antibodies from having had COVID are better protected from the virus than those who get the vaccine. And Dr. Fauci's deer-in-the-headlights response was incredibly, disgracefully, oh, yes, um, 
Well, that's uh, interesting. We'll have to take a look into that again, as if you're the Uh guy, you're the guy in charge of the pandemic and you don't think, oh, and by the way, you're telling the American people, you must submit to the coercive sticking of a needle into your body because this is just what the science requires and you haven't really even bothered it hasn't even occurred to you oh that's an interesting puzzler i wonder if we should check to see whether natural immunity has any efficacious response is maybe more durable oh and also since historically that's exactly how we arrive at herd immunity we might want to know that and here's the thing chad why wouldn't you want to be screaming this from the rooftops? Good news, good tidings to all villagers. If you have natural immunity, you actually have more immunity than our wonderful vaccine. And so we'll work together with those who are naturally immune and those who have the vaccines to reach herd immunity. Wouldn't that be a good thing, Chad? What, what is the bad part about that? So I think there's two parts to that. And the first part is, the testing methods for determining if you are COVID positive are garbage for the most very part. Unreliable. Uh, we, very unreliable. Very unreliable. So it doesn't mean you didn't have it. It doesn't mean you did have it. So if they go out and say natural immunity means you don't have to get the vaccine, then they have to admit that the testing for positive cases might not be as reliable as they're leading you to believe. So we're encouraging you to get the vaccine, even if you had COVID, simply because we don't know if you had COVID, especially if you didn't have symptoms. If you're asymptomatic, did you have COVID? Don't know. Possibly. Most of the tests are are nasal swabs. So I said this before, and I said this to my family. If you breathe and there's COVID in the air, it's probably in your nose, right? Because you breathe air. Unless you breathe through your mouth, then it might be in your nose. But if you're taking a nasal swab of something that would have gone through your nose, it doesn't mean you got a disease. It means the COVID's in your nose. Maybe you got the disease. Maybe you didn't. But it's not the most reliable test. It's fast or faster, but it leads to reliability. The second part is they're overselling the vaccine. Because you think COVID... Well, as Alex, as Alex Berenson would say, is it it really a vaccine, Chad? Does it really qualify as what we understand to be vaccines? And by that, I mean, we now know that efficacy is ranging hmm, four months out to, if we're really optimistic, six months. And now you Maybe. need apparently a regime of perpetual boosters. Is that how the polio vaccine worked, Chad? Are you no. still and, taking and your polio you. booster every quarter? So you hear about the flu vaccine every fall. And the reason you're told you need to get a new one every year is because of the strain that we're dealing with. And that's true. But this functions, in my opinion, this functions a lot like that, whereas it's good for a period of time. It's not good indefinitely. So, Well, even more thir- alarmingly, again, the yes. trend lines are not only is it now only good for a certain period of time, but that time window is diminishing. And for people, 
shocker, who are in the, what we've already known to be the high risk category, meaning people who are over 65, who have comorbidities. Um, and again, you and I have both said, I would never tell someone like that not to take the vaccine. They probably should take the vaccine. Okay. Unless they have other medical issues that would preclude that. But nevertheless, what the data is now showing from places like Israel and the UK is that people in that cohort, even who have been vaccinated, the efficacy is lessening for them and the severity is going up which of course those go hand in hand to the point now where you keep hearing this myth about it's a disease of the unvaccinated. But if you actually look at the hospitalization data from those countries, the percentages now are converging, meaning the people that are in the hospital with serious COVID who are facing some of them who are dying, it's not 1% vaccinated and 99 unvaccinated. It's more like 40, 60 43, Mm -hmm. 57. And we may actually see that flip. And here's the thing. This is not surprising because it's still the same cohort of individuals, high risk, elderly, other health issues. And guess what? What we're finding out is the vaccine used to be protecting them for a little bit. It's now protecting them less. And because the Delta variant, they've got it, they're still dying. Mm -hmm. So why then... Of course, no one will ever ask Dr. Fauci any of these elementary questions. Under those admitted circumstances, doctor, under the science and the data, which demonstrates that this vaccine lasts for four months, it doesn't prevent transmission. There is no study. There is no study that suggests that the vaccinated cohort are some way less likely to transmit and spread COVID as unvaccinated. I'm not aware of a single study that has actually demonstrated that. So if you can get it, and you can pass it, and you can still die. Now, admittedly, it does show that if you've been vaccinated and you're high risk, the severity of those outcomes would have been less than if you were unvaccinated. But again, those data points are changing as well, but that still does not justify any level of coercion to somebody who says, Mm -hmm. you've got it, you're good, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take it, I'm 30, I'm an elite athlete, I don't have comorbidities. And by the way, have you looked at those studies about myocarditis and pericarditis lately in people under 30? Those are a little disturbing, don't you think? Have you looked at the VAERS data, which continues to pile up about serious side effects? I know we're not allowed to talk about that. You'll be shoved off YouTube. (laughs) Have you considered any of those things? No. But Chad, explain to me how debased and depraved one has to be. This isn't a political thing. Why would you be hiding and obfuscating this information from people? Why? So everything you said is correct. As far as we know, Um, everything I have read leads me to believe that there are diminishing returns on these vaccines, regardless of which one you got. The fact that you can intermingle them now between Moderna and Pfizer, you got one, you can get a third booster from that. I'm here about a fourth booster. Uh, tells me it's not nearly as effective as they want you to believe. Uh, and it may be a yearly something. And you talked about the high-risk individuals. The high-risk individuals are high-risk for a reason. It doesn't matter what comes down the pike. If you've got a, a respiratory disease, and you're high risk. If you've got autoimmune disease of, of any kind, you are at high risk for something like this. And the effectiveness of any vaccine, flu or otherwise, is lessened in your population. And what, what people don't 
probably understand is when you, there's three phases of development of a drug, doesn't matter what it is. First phase is uh, in vitro. So they do it in a, they do it in a test tube. Um, and they t- determine how it reacts t- in different situations, light, dark, whatever. Second phase, they test it on human beings. It's limited human trials. But the limited human trials are healthy adults, mostly men, some women, but mostly very healthy adults because they don't know what the side effects are going to be. They want to put it in somebody who's not high risk. Only when you get to a phase three trial do you start to introduce the higher risk individuals and they have to sign off on, you may get the the study drug, you may not. We didn't have enough long-term studies around these because there was a, we're under the gun. We got to get this out. We didn't have the time that you would normally put into making sure all this worked and when it worked effectively. So you talk about the high risk patients, they're the ones who need it the most and they're, they're least affected by it positively. They don't get the benefit that everybody else gets because they can't, their body won't allow them to, and they have other things wrong with them that caused the, caused the disease. So the, the, the general population, the healthy adults, and, and again, when you hear the word healthy adult, it's a relative term. Not knowing you have high blood pressure, not knowing you have atherosclerosis, doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means you don't know about it. So you're healthy as far as they can tell because nobody's ever studied it in you. That problem is we don't know what you have, so we really can't extrapolate that to the higher risk population. But that higher risk population constantly is being affected by something in their body. It's a, it's a, it's a nice organism that works together. One thing doesn't work. It causes other things not to work. Eventually that's how life works. We're introducing a foreign substance. And I, I will tell you every drug, every single foreign substance you put in your body has a side effect. I don't care what it is. It can be water. Well, too much so water. That's an interesting point. I, I would encourage people um, to to look up and read. Uh, again, this is a this is Alex Berenson, uh, who's a guy that, of course, has been vilified for his. Uh, he's also not a guy who's opposed to vaccines at all. In fact, he sure. he has said uh, you should take the you should take the vaccine. But he's a guy that's also committed to intellectual honesty and transparency. But one of the most fascinating things he posted recently was on his Substack newsletter. Um, I think the title of it was basically called Playing God. And in it, to your point about what drugs do to the human body, he was drawing the contrast between what he called, I believe, simple molecular um, structures like aspirin, right, who Mm -hmm. are um, very easily understood it's understood exactly how they interact on sort of a, an atomic level and, and then comparing them to these impossibly complicated mRNA vaccines. And one of the points that he made is we have a very good historical understanding because we've studied them for so long and they're not very complex of exactly how things like aspirin and other drugs of a similar molecular structure interact with the body. We may not understand it totally, but we've got a pretty good handle on what's going to happen. So we have no understanding of what these drugs are going to do long term because they don't simply bind to, let's say, a single cell receptor. They actually hijack. They hijack and take over the internal workings of the entire cell. And he points out, our bodies generally don't like it when that happens. Our autoimmune system doesn't like that. And so it produces all manner of very unpredictable and as yet unknown 
response is. And so for us to just say, oh, it's all the same. It's fine for them to say it's perfectly safe. They have no idea. They have no idea whether long-term this is perfectly safe. Now, I don't blame them for not knowing that because we can't possibly know. But stop telling people that there's no downside to any of this. What you can say, I would think fairly, is there's a large number of people who have taken this. The vast majority of people who so far have taken these vaccines have not showed significant or severe side effects. However, there is a small minority of people who have taken these vaccines who have experienced very severe, including deadly side effects, and we simply do not have the data or the experience to know what these will do in the future because we've never had something like this on a mass scale where you've got billions of people who are being injected with this stuff. See, that would actually be a relatively honest, fair-minded, transparent thing to say and then let people make up their minds. But they refuse to do that. Well, on the outset, we've said this before. I think if you're a high-risk individual as an adult, I think you should make the decision for yourself. If you're over the age of 18, that's the age of majority in this country, you should make the decision whether or not you should get the vaccine. I got the vaccine because I felt like I needed to for me. My family got the vaccine. Not my, not my juvenile child, though, because I think children is a certainly different area. And expanding the Pfizer vaccine to five-year-olds, I'm sorry, I don't believe the data supports that finding. Now, if you feel it does for you and your child, I think you have – the ability to make that decision with your doctor's advice and consent. But telling me I have to, telling people they have to, they've made a decision, okay? Telling them they have to do this to continue working or continue going to a restaurant in New York City or continuing to do anything, you're, you're taking away the choice. And you can say they have a choice, and they do, but they don't. That's not that's not what we're we're about. That as and and, and our, our friend would say, well, you, your freedom shouldn't trump my healthiness. You shouldn't be able to spread COVID all right, around. But, again, me. but see, again, that is a completely false dichotomy because yes. it begs the question that the second part of that assumes that this vaccine somehow prevents it from spreading. It doesn't. And it assumes Correct. that this vaccine that we've somehow come up with prevents people from dying. It doesn't. And it assumes that this vaccine is something that's going to last more than four months. And therefore, if you don't have it, you're placing him at risk. It doesn't. You're already placed yourself at risk because the efficacy and the durability of these things is fading before our eyes, which is why it's the fundamental dishonesty of this debate, which is if you're unvaccinated, you pose a unique risk. How so? They can never explain that. Well, because so here's something, and this is totally anecdotal. I have no data on this. First two shots of the Pfizer or Moderna, I heard about a lot of side effects, a lot of reactions, sight pain, uh, aching, flu-like symptoms. Third booster, at least on the Pfizer, because Moderna hasn't been approved for a third booster. I haven't heard any reactions. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means your body's adapted and this is just you know energizing what you're already doing. Is it not nearly as effective now that you've had the previous two shots? I don't know, but it, it it's an interesting point. You know, are we seeing the same level of reaction? to the third booster that we saw for the first and second shots. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if we'll ever actually be given that data, but it does make me wonder 
what's going on? Why, why the very different reaction? Cause I had a reaction to the first two. I did not have a reaction to the third one. I, I didn't feel it. Didn't it just, I mean, I got a shot. I knew I got a shot, but that's it. I felt nothing. I don't know what that means. Well, so honestly. speaking of what we don't know what it means, I actually quickly found this, uh, this article. I want to read one section of it. It's really short. Berenson asked the question or basically says the only solution to all of these unknowns, which of course our government is unwilling to concede, he says is very large trials. And Chad, this used to be your world. Very large yes. trials conducted for long periods. Now here's what he, he writes, quote, a 40,000 person clinical trial may sound large. It is not, not in the context of a drug that governments are going to give or more accurately force on billions of healthy people. In 1954, the Salk polio vaccine trial covered, now this is in 1954, covered almost 2 million children. Yes, 2 million including 400,000 who received the vaccine. And polio was far more dangerous to children than SARS-CoV-2. So his point is, we haven't done anything close to this in an effort to gain a comprehensive understanding about what we don't know. And none of our enlightened leaders have any seeming any interest in doing so, probably because they don't really want anyone to know what those answers are. They've already told us what we need to do, and all information that runs contrary to their decrees is really unwanted. Well, I believe they've had 80 million test subjects. Problem is, they weren't controlled test subjects. You didn't control for anything, so you don't know the variability between the subjects. But you, we were effectively, and and if you didn't know this, in December of last year, January, February, March, April, whenever you decided to get the shot or, or later, you were a test subject, period. I don't care what they told you. I don't care what you believed without those long-term data. And 40,000 patients in a study, I can tell you for a fact, 40,000 patients in a pharmaceutical study is ginormous. I don't, I'm not kidding you. That That is a, because... Most of these studies of something like this would take years to complete because you've got to register people. You've got to qualify these people and say, this person meets the criteria for what we're looking for to, to see what the reactions are. You don't just walk into a doctor's office and say, okay, I want all your patients because it doesn't work that way. They, they have disqualifying reasons why you can't be in the study. So 40,000 patients would be more than likely a couple billion dollars of research, if not more just trying to get this done to do this. So why don't companies do more of that? Because it's very expensive. It's extremely expensive. It costs almost a billion dollars today, probably more than that now, 1.3 billion is the last I heard, to get any drug from development to your your body. And that's if it passes. And, and nine out of 10 don't. Yeah, of course, out of the only difference here, which is a rather large difference, is that <laughs> none of those drugs are mandated by the government. Correct. So Correct. you don't Correct. have to take Pfizer's latest and greatest uh, yep. arteriosclerosis medicine or their anti-dementia med that just came out if you have concerns about what it's going to do to you. Even if your doctor yep. vigorously recommends that you go on uh, a statin or whatever, <laughs> right? But guess what? You're being told you have no choice. You're going to put this into your body. Now, 
that to me makes it incumbent. And by the way, since we're throwing around trillions of dollars, well, guess what? Maybe the government can use some of that money that's going to pay for, I don't know, the solar powered coast to coast monorail that AOC can ride back and forth. Um, maybe we can actually use that to defray some of the costs of conducting these studies. By the way, I don't feel all that bad for Pfizer and Moderna because have you oh. seen what they are going? Oh, by the way, in Insane perpetuity. Profits what they are yep. now going to be making on these vaccines. And you know what? Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not decrying the fact that they're going to make incomprehensible amounts of money, but it is not an answer to say in an, in an era, in a sort of an unimaginable situation where we are being told you must take these medicines to be permitted to function in society, oh, but we're not really going to bother finding out exactly what might be going on long term. Um, right. That's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And it it's the world we live in. It's it's uh basically we need it now, so we'll cut corners. That that Pfizer would never have been able to cut had this been any other situation. Had they been saying we're coming out for a COVID vaccine without a global pandemic, they would never have been allowed to cut these corners. You'd still be waiting. The average vaccine takes eight to nine years to develop. So we're still years away from an from a fully vetted uh, product and we've got five-year-olds that can take it. Let me help you with something because most people don't understand this either. Most adult drugs aren't studied in children until the patent's about to run out. So they'll do a children's study, a limited children's study to get some six months more of patent protection. That's when they do these studies. What study did we do for the five to 11-year-olds? Or the 12 to 16, 18-year-olds. What, what study did we do? Do we just look at, again, do we look at clinical data? Did we look at how it behaved in a test tube? Or did we actually look at children? I would bet we didn't look at children. We, we, we didn't know actually we didn't. We know we haven't. Those so studies don't exist. Then, then, I, then I would question, again, I got the vaccine. Three times I've gotten shot. What is the rationale for giving it to a five-year-old if you haven't actually studied it in a five-year-old? Well, that's me, not, even, I don't that's not even a rationale. In other words, the, the rationale doesn't exist even for how a five-year-old profiles on a risk assessment, right? Because a five-year-old is more likely to be hit by a meteor than to die from COVID, Okay, an otherwise healthy five-year-old, not a child that has some very specific Correct. rare health condition. Correct. So the rationale doesn't even exist. Your point is the, the security, the, there, this shouldn't even be conceivable, right? We, we would in any other context be saying this is not permitted. You simply no. can't do that. Now, would that calculus change if we were dealing with polio or, in other words, a virus that was incredibly deadly to people yeah. who at any age? Maybe. And maybe mm -hmm. the, the certain trade-offs would have to be considered, but it becomes even more perverse when you consider that there is no data suggesting that a child of that age is going to need this vaccine for any reason whatsoever. And if they do get it, they're very likely to, you may not even know, they'll be asymptomatic, have a very mild case, and now guess what? They have natural antibodies, which are actually broader in terms of what they cover 
for for various mutations than the vaccine. So there is, again, you want to sit down with somebody and talk about, you got to follow the science. I want somebody to explain. And of course, Gupta couldn't explain this to Joe Rogan and Dr. Fauci can't explain it. And Deborah Burks yeah. can't explain it. Why give me objective scientific, not not because I say so. Don't you see my badge? I'm one of the smart people. You're not an expert. I am. No, no. Give me the science that demonstrates that a child should do this. It doesn't exist. It literally does not exist. And, and that's correct. And I think that's the that's the whole point for me. Uh, we would, you know, in the polio situation, maybe you would you would make an extraordinary effort to try it. You know, um, again, we vilify the Nazis, rightly so. But a lot of our infectious disease research in the fifties came from Nazi studies. We used their data to, to, to get to a polio vaccine, to get to other vaccines that we didn't have because of they had treated people, well, infected people with disease. That's how science advances. It's messy, it's dirty, and it's uncomfortable, but that's what happened. I'm not suggesting we should do that. We should not do that. The, the benefits have to outweigh the risks, and the risks to a five-year-old of these shots, we don't know. We don't know what we those don't are. know what they are, but they don't seem to outweigh the benefits well, of the this. Risk of, I'm talking about the risk of taking the vaccine. We don't even know what yeah. those risks are. We don't, and that's the problem. But we we know we know statistically. Now, this is not again anecdotally. If you if your child got COVID and died of COVID, that's horrible, and that that that's not something you're going to go. Oh, well, that, that's okay. I just didn't give them the shot. Statistically, and we're talking about general health policy. Statistically, that five-year-old, as you said, probably if they got COVID, wouldn't know they got COVID. If they did, they'd have some light, some mild symptoms. And at best, you know that that would be the worst thing you could well, have. Here's the other point. And here's the other point about that scenario, which of course is horrible and tragic. And sure. we're not diminishing that that has happened. That has happened to certain, just like certain families yep. have suffered with children who got the flu and died. Yes. Okay. These yes. things can happen. They're outliers. But the point is. There's no evidence that if a child who has that kind of medical profile at that age who died of COVID, there's no evidence that the vaccine would have kept them from dying either. And the reason we know that is because we see the exact thing going on in high-risk populations who are dying, who are vaccinated because their comorbidities are such that even with the vaccine, the virus overcomes them. So you can't even make the statement that, oh, in hindsight, how only you had the vaccine, they'd be fine. We don't even know that. Right. And, that, and that's the, the sadness of all this. I, I don't know where this is going to go. I, I'm really hoping people wake up and say, you know, mandates are not, not the way to go. And it's going to have to, the people who don't want to take the shot have already decided they don't want to take the shot. So you, you haven't coerced them. You haven't given them a rational reason why they should, other than I need to keep employment, New York city, firemen, police, uh, other workers, essential workers. Those, those people have made their decision. And, I used to think you had the right to make a decision about your body. I mean, we, we hear that constantly, my body, my choice, but it's not your body and not your choice in this point. And I'm not comparing this to the abortion discussion because having an abortion or not having an abortion affects you and the child, but it doesn't affect me necessarily. But that's actually, you, Chad, you know, that, that is the even better point, which is 
the way that they use that sloganeering within that other context is false on its face because it actually <laughs> isn't their body. And so in Correct. this context, it is. In other words, their slogan would apply with much more force to this very scenario. It's actually appropriate in this context. And this is the one context when they say, no, 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 that doesn't matter. It's not your body. It's not your body <laughs> exactly. anymore. Because we want you to do this. I, and I don't know what the end game is on this, but it does seem – something's up. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that obviously there's, there's power grabs uh, all around on this. I want to move on a little real quick before I get my lamentations from the lazy boy. Uh, There's a, and I haven't seen all of this. So there's a proposal to pay the. Oh, I knew you were. I see. Okay, so we children. we mentioned. Well, there's more of this, but right. But yes, so we the, mentioned. I never know what the subjects are going to be, but I I knew because if you weren't going if you weren't going to talk about this, I was going to talk about this. This is beyond stupefying. So, Donald Trump kept kids in cages. We we heard that screamed to the high heavens from everybody who hated Donald Trump. He separated families from their kids. Now I use families loosely because not everybody that brought a kid to the border between Mexico and Texas or Arizona or California was actually a family member. These were drug smugglers. Chad, Chad, so cynical. We had very complete records. We knew exactly who all these people were. <laughs> we knew that. So by law, we talked about this many, many times by law, you could not keep them together. They had to be moved to different places. Well, wait, so very quickly, Part of the reason for that is if you are in a category of people who are seeking asylum, which there are specific statutory requirements that must be met, that's a different process, and it takes longer. And what federal law eventually says is you can't keep kids in that environment with adults while that is playing out. So, in fact, the federal law is designed, and perhaps it's ham-fisted and it's, it's poorly written, and perhaps we need to reconsider that. You have to remove the kids. Because you can't keep them in a, da- a potentially dangerous environment with other adults while the asylum process is dragging on, which is a much different process than someone who is coming who's an economic migrant who, who is essentially being evaluated, can I get into the country? And frequently, if the law is working, it should be, I'm sorry, so sorry, there's a legal method to get in. You don't qualify. Goodbye. Here's your child. Go away. Right? Or I'm not sorry, yeah. go away. Best wishes, go to Mexico, whatever. So just I wanted to add that point that sure. the federal sure. law requirement is inherently designed to protect the kids. Yeah, because we we do know that sometimes bad people mill about in large groups hoping to slip in to cause bad things to happen. So everybody, just because they're part of your migrant train doesn't mean they're all good people. So what Chad's so referring to there that. is that um, the Proud Boys are, are infiltrating the border. Yes, Those are the yes, bad that, people that, that are everywhere. Yes, that's not anything what I'm saying. So anyway, uh, Joe Biden's government has determined, and I can't see a, a written policy, and I think it was a trial balloon to see what people thought. They're going to pay $450,000 in settlement money Two families who were separated at the border. Now, oh, that's the minimum. That's the baseline. That's, you know, for each child. the The problem you might think is, wait a minute, they were breaking the law. So, What's your point? they came here illegally, and we're going to pay them a half a million dollars because we followed the law. You know, um, 
I'm confused well, okay. how that works. Let's assume this. I mean, honestly, you know, of all, you can't keep up with the bad magazine level of absurdities <laughs> and outrages emanating from this administration. But this one, you, clearly a team of people sat down in a room and said, what would make this administration possibly the most like a crime syndicate? I know <laughs> this particular policy because this is indefensible on about 17 different levels. To your point, number one, these people are coming here illegally. If you reward such behavior, and by the way, a cynic might suggest that's exactly what they want to do, because what does it do, Chad? It incentivizes, oh, wait a minute, you're telling me, wait, let me get this straight, right? Am I being punked? So if I come up to the U.S. border and go into the country illegally, not only am I very likely to be let in under the Biden administration policy, which just ships you to the interior and then makes you pinky swear that in three years you're going to show up at a hearing. Absolutely. I'll be there on the button. Oh, <laughs> I'm also going to get a fabulous entry gift of $450,000, which is roughly the equivalent of 7 million years worth of wages that I was making in South America or Central America. That seems like a pretty good reason. Oh, it's also a really good reason for me to risk death, rape, sex trafficking, drug cartels as I drag my kids over a hundred miles of incredibly dangerous terrain. Because guess what? It's the lottery, baby. It's the Biden lottery. Here's the other point. Dan Crenshaw made this point. We pay, I didn't know this, and I'm, I'm quoting what he said, I guess the insurance for soldiers, service members who are killed in the line of duty to their families, less than that. I mean, if, if this isn't the most perverse thing, and here's the other thing, let's assume, let's assume that some of these kids were improperly separated, meaning it wasn't because of the standing rule related to asylum. It was some mean border agent who intentionally did it. I'll show them. I'm going to put their kids in this camp for a while. If that had happened, if that kind of deprivation had happened to an American citizen, Chad, do you think the government would just roll over and pay them $450,000? Nope. That would never That's happen. Right. You know what would happen? You'd have to go hire a civil rights lawyer, and that civil rights lawyer would bring what's called a Section 1983 lawsuit, essentially meaning somebody acting under what they call color of state law has deprived you of multiple civil rights. And then you would have to litigate that case for years against the federal government, which would also be able to raise a series of immunities, both absolute and qualified. And you're an American citizen, Chad, but mm -hmm. we're going to just, oh, and here's the other thing. What do you think the cut is going to be for all <laughs> of the very altruistic lawyers and activists who are involved? We've talked about this scenario before, Chad, in the context of uh -huh. environmental settlements, right? Where uh -huh. the game is, the activists within the government, right? The true believers like at the EPA, they will, they will enter into what's called a consent decree with the plaintiffs, knowing that the plaintiff's case has no merit. But nevertheless, we have to. We, we're going to have to give them tens of millions of dollars. So what it is, it's collusion between the activists within the government who are, who are breaking their oaths, who are not attempting to defend 
lawless or lawful activity. No, no, we're going to roll over and play dead and shovel millions of dollars to the activists that we are ideologically simpatico with. This is exactly the same game, only now it's applied to immigration policy. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that there will miraculously be more children separated than have ever existed in the human history Chad, to get this how will they even how will they even demonstrate this i i'm i'm going I'm down to the border right now and saying I, I was i was joking that they'll expand this to people that were separate like that were separated while in line at universal theme park it's exactly. close enough to the border, and the gate Super attendant stomach. the gate attendant put me in the regular queue, and my family was in the express lane. I've been traumatized. I'd like some yep. money, please. <laughs> please give me. Now, here's the other thing, and this is the cynical part coming out. I believe this is a payoff to vote Democrat once they give you citizenship. So they've given you $450,000. You get to stay. We're going to give you citizenship, and we expect it, wink, wink, to keep keep that coming this yeah. direction. What do you think? Is that no, possible? Chad, of course no, not. Oh, I know. It's they critical. only have the best interests of everyone at heart. My bad. It's a terrible, what a terrible thing to say. <laughs> so last major topic, I, real quickly. Uh, Janet Yellen and, and Ron Wyden are trying to push this billionaire tax. And I want to stress, <laughs> I want to stress okay, this unconstitutional on its face. Uh, yeah, but that hasn't stopped them well, before. Of from to but I mean, this, so this is the same. Isn't this exactly the same idea that uh, sure. Liz Warren was promoting oh, yeah. that we're going yeah. to we're going to select a, a single group of people that we've nominated or that we've designated as evildoers. They, they have enough money and then we're just going mm-hmm. to apply taxation to them that is completely different from any other group. So yes. uh, um sorry, there there's there's multiple reasons why that's lawless on its face. So for, for people to understand, so you you've been searching for this dream job for years, and you finally get your dream job. They hand over the paper, your contract, and says, This is what you're gonna be paid. You're gonna be a hundred thousand dollars a year. And as you walk out of the HR room to accept that offer, there's a man standing there and said, Hey, I'm from the IRS. Um, we want 15% of that now. And you said, but I haven't even started working. Doesn't matter. You, you've gained $100,000. We want 15% right now. You owe us. Well, what if I get fired? Or I lose my job in six months. Well, we'll talk about that then. But right now we need to get 15%. This is basically a capturing unrealized gains. If you buy stock in Apple and Apple's stock triples, they want to take their, their cut of what it could be worth, but you haven't sold it. Your house. I, I bought a house. It went up in value over the last year. Now you owe tax on that because it went up in value. But I didn't sell it, so I don't actually have the money to pay. That's what they're talking about. This is what they want to do. They want to take money from you simply because they need to build back better. They need that money to build back better. Okay. And once again, uh, I mean, this is fundamentally dense and uh, lawless and misguided because, of course, it is. But let's just think through the real world uh, cause and effect relationship here because the Democrats just seem incapable of understanding this. So for instance, let's use the example that they always like to trot out about all these wicked companies that do corporate inversions, right? Why, why, oh, why are these unpatriotic companies 
moving all of their physical plants and their manufacturing to other countries, Chad. It can't possibly have to do with the fact that we've enacted the highest or second highest corporate tax rate in the developed world, and we actually double tax it because we tax it domestically, and then also in the country where they reside. But nevertheless, we just can't understand why they wouldn't stay here and accept more beatings, okay? They just can't process this. Now, what do you think is going to happen if this if this rule goes into effect in terms of the investments of billionaires and millionaires in the market, Chad, what do you think is the likely effect of a rule that says we're going to tax you on money that isn't even realized if you continue to play in this sandbox? I'm going to leave the sandbox. Oh, who, oh, but here's the, who could have here's foreseen the, that? Here's the rub. The G20 met in, in Rome this weekend. And they decided to pass a 15% minimum corporate tax so that every country that signs onto this says, can't give you those freebies, can't give you that lower tax. We're playing a ground game. We got to get 15%. Now, that's not legal in the United States. The Congress still yeah. has to set those. Laws. No, 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 so no, no. Off Chad, little niceties like treaties. I mean, yes. come on. This is why Obama unveiled the much more efficacious signing statements, right? Isn't that what did we execute yes. with Iran? What was it? Uh, uh, a yes. tissue paper <laughs> codicil? I, I don't. I don't know what the legal legal term of art was. But no, no. Uh, these yeah. treaties are very cumbersome, Chad. We it doesn't allow oh, the credentialed people to get things done. So yes. th- those yeah. are not going to impede the G20s. Very very good idea. I, I find it hard to believe that uh, Joe Manchin would sign off on something like this in West Virginia. So it does. It needs Senate approval for any treaties, and um, that's not going to happen. So shut up. Move on. Oh, by the way, I don't really- um, speaking of kind of overseas and G20, Joe Biden today did the first thing that I actually respect. Do you know what that was, Chad? He fell asleep. Yes, he fell asleep during the what is it? The um, environmental doom summit. I mean, they yes, have one crap, every yes. every three weeks. Where are they now? They're in Scotland, I think. Yeah, Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, now, did you see that Joe Biden took eight hundred staff members to Rome? Wow, he's it's a skeleton crew. Eight hundred staff. What Chad, could he possibly the do fate, 800 people for? The fate of Gaia is at stake, Chad. 800 is the bare minimum. I don't know if I know 800 people enough that I'd want them around me. Look, they have, they have at least a hundred there who have to prepare his pudding and the, you know, the vanilla warmed ensure whatever else is going on he needs a lot. His retinue is very large, Chad. That's just the way it is. It's it's insane. Okay. We're going to finish with my lamentations from the lazy boy. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks. The Steelers have found a way to get over 500. I know. uh, they do it ugly. Oh, it's ugly. All right. That Browns game was unwatchable. Oh, oh. so I, I still see that Ben Roethlisberger, he doesn't understand that you might need to throw it down the field, the middle of the field once in a no, while. He can't. He, I, that's the problem. He can't. And it's very obvious to me. So when somebody says, well, they're winning now, I'm like, no, he, he can't throw it. He can't throw it down the field. He can throw it yeah. 10 yards. I mean, I mean, look, Ben Ben is kind of in the, we've talked about this, is in the Peyton Manning last year of the Broncos phase. Now, yeah. he's not quite as atrocious as Manning was that season because Manning could basically, he couldn't almost <laughs> function, 
right? Right. Uh, that season, Manning, Manning, that season, which they won the Super Bowl, Manning yes. had seven touchdowns or no, nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions. And, good, and he didn't play every game. No, he was a shell of himself. And Ben is <laughs> getting, ver, Ben's very it, close to that. He is. And, and I saw the, the Steelers leading receiver is Deontay Johnson, who to this point has not figured out that the, you have to get past the first down line for it to matter as much. So third and 12 and he'll go to the 10, 10 yards back and get tackled. I'm not sure he doesn't understand. You're not going to run after the catch because you're not that elusive. Najee Harris looks okay, but he's just not, he's not busting any big runs. You know what's fascinating me um, with the NFL this season, a couple of things. So I'm actually looking at my phone right now. Uh, The giants are playing the chiefs. Now the chiefs are um, in trouble. And what I'm wondering is, so the score right now is the Giants. Okay, the Giants are arguably, other than the Jaguars and possibly the Jets, the worst team in football. They have massive injuries. Saquon isn't playing. Their receiving core is decimated. And they're winning right now 17-14. to 14. Now, I still think the Chiefs are going to win this game. But the point is, Chad, we have now seen about three consecutive games um, where the Chiefs' offense is not... The, uh, yeah. the world-beating juggernaut that it used to be. Right now, Pat Mahomes has thrown for 220 yards on 42 attempts, and he's got one touchdown and one interception. They were, they were completely emasculated by the Titans last week. What is going on? Now, look, I understand the main problem with the Chiefs is their defense is atrocious. But what is mm-hmm. has the league... I'm not going to say figured out their offense because if you look at most of the underlying numbers, they're still one of the better offenses in the league, but they are clearly not the chiefs of the last two or three seasons. And they pretty much have all of the same offensive guys that are out there. What is going on? Well, the, the conventional wisdom would say the league has figured out Patrick Mahomes. Now, well, you have to say clear. figured out very loosely, right? Because I well, think Patrick Mahomes is still in the top three in touchdowns, right? But it's clear that something is going on where you can't just count on their offense to show up and put 35 on the board. Well, if you watched any of the Chiefs games this year, and I've watched a couple, in, in years past, when Patrick Mahomes would throw it up towards Tyreek Hill, it didn't matter. It, it just had to be in the general vicinity of Tyreek Hill, and he'd catch it. And I'm not saying Tyreek has gotten worse, but the, the rest of the team, it was like, <laughs> I feel like we're watching the Raiders of uh, Stickem days versus the Raiders post Stickem, where it got anywhere near the receiver and they'd catch it. And now it's getting near them and they're dropping balls. And I think I see it's endemic to the league, but I, Mahomes is making low percentage passes and he always did. And they're just not catching them the, the, the offense is- well that's true they've had they've had some dropsies but i i do think that the buccaneers blueprint from the super bowl oh, has yeah. now essentially this is now the game plan which is yep. you Watch never film. you never do anything other than have two safeties over the top um yep. you don't allow tyree kill to beat you deep you flood you play zone most of the time you have extra guys. Essentially, you're you're essentially doing what the Chargers did to the Ravens and Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson, where you've essentially got you know seven or eight defensive backs on the field at all times who can run. And then when you're and and then you're forcing Mahomes to accept 
I'm going to have to dink and dunk my way down the field seven and eight yards at a time. And it seems like the Chiefs right now are just unwilling to do that. And so they wind up forcing the ball. There's turnovers. They have some incredible amount of turnovers through Oh, how many games have they played now? Seven. This is—is is this the eighth game? I think they had seventeen turnovers. Uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether they can actually. I'm still not convinced that the Chiefs are not going to be in the AFC Championship game, even though that seems very far fetched right now, given that they're three and four, and you've got the Bills, and you've got a lot of these other really good teams in the AFC. But there's something going on with that team. Well. Defense is part of it, but that doesn't explain the 14 points in the fourth quarter for the Chiefs tonight. That's not it's just no. Well, not, they could again. No. The defense stinks. Um, it used to be acceptably sub mediocre, meaning they would. You knew their defense was going to get gashed and give up 28 points, but they knew their offense could put up 35 or 40. Sure. But sure. now the Can't. defense is giving up 35 points, and the offense is putting up 24. Exactly. If they're lucky, they're lucky. So, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. The Steelers are not a good team, and watching yesterday, they lost their kicker to an ill-conceived fake field goal. It, it didn't make a lot of sense, but that's Mike Tomlin for you. Are fake uh, field other, goals ever well-conceived? He said we, we needed to make sure that we had the exact situation we needed and we didn't end up having the exact situation we needed. I'm like, that's all great in hindsight, but in foresight, you should have said we don't have the exact situation we need and, and Boswell can't throw and he can't stand there right on the sideline. And, and it's just, it, it, it made no sense from the start. You get rid of it quickly. You don't hold the ball. It just. Did you also see, as we're doing a little around the NFL, did you see that Jared Goff for the second time in three weeks threw the ball out of bounds on fourth down? Yeah. Like that, that doesn't seem good. It, I mean, one, one time, one time <laughs> is sort of, okay, you know, if you're under pressure, you kind of lose sight of the down, you're trained to throw it. But two times in three weeks when, uh, no, no, Jared, there is not a fifth down. Um, yes. We, it's well, better for you to just, throw the ball and, and throw an interception then throwing it out of bounds. And we've now lost all chance of doing it. That's just crazy. It, well, what's Dan Orlovsky known for? Remember Dan Orlovsky? Um, not being a good quarterback. Well, not being a good quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he stepped out of bounds when he was playing for the lions. He stepped out of the end zone and gave the other team a safety because, and there was nobody tackling him. He just stepped out of, the back of the end zone. That's what he's known for in the NFL, but he's a very good commentator. He knows the game. Oh yes. Well, the other thing is, I think that that's a little bit more excusable only because I'm not sure everyone knows exactly what, well, I'm not sure everyone knows exactly what the consequence is for stepping out of the back of the end zone. Right. It's not as a quarterback. You would, (laughs) you would hope, but here's the thing. Everyone does understand there's four downs. Yes. Okay. It's not well, confusing. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, sometimes the rule is in the fourth quarter, you get six downs. Um, and that became, I, in the moment I became very confused by that. No, no, it's always four downs. And so, you know, that if you throw the ball out of bounds on fourth down, you don't get to have the ball anymore, Chad. I mean, maybe you yes. thought if I step out of bounds in the end zone, I don't know, maybe the ball goes to the 20. Um, not really clear. Yeah. Like the whole ridiculous rule when you fumble out of the end zone. Right, which is one of the worst rules that the NFL has, where the offense scores a touchdown, no one touches it, they uh, they lose the ball. 
Yes. Right. That rule doesn't make any sense. Touchback. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe, maybe that's what the reality is. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see. My other lamentation is Michigan. My, my team, Michigan was seven and zero going into Saturday. Uh, they played their cross state rival, Michigan state. First time, both teams have been in the top 10 since 1964. They were leading 30 to 14 in what? The third quarter. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, they gave up uh, five touchdowns to one running back who ran for 197 yards on them. And if you watch the game, certainly in the second half, they show they don't quite understand that you need to tackle that guy. Right, when he comes to the line. You need to tackle but him. You Chad, can't just the bigger watch problem. And again, I didn't watch the whole game. Yeah, their starting quarterback, who I know among a lot of Michigan fans takes a lot of abuse, actually had a tremendous game. And yet the quarterback whisperer decided in crucial moments of the fourth quarter that we're going to put in the other quarterback who he put him in who the first time fumbled the ball and got lucky that it went out of bounds. And then he put him back in and he fumbled it again. And unfortunately this time they didn't keep possession. What is the rationale for that Chad? Each quarterback gives you a slightly different look, but it didn't work for Steve Spurrier at Florida when he kept shuttling him in and out. He Harbaugh did this most of the game and it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, in the yeah, context, wait a minute. When Steve Spurrier, okay, well, this isn't really the Spurrier era, but for instance, no. when Urban Meyer was at Florida, when Tebow was a freshman, yeah. he would shuttle Tebow in in red zone situations because sure. Tebow was this guy that was a you know a power pack and he could run. And you could use him potentially to throw. That makes sense, right? That's yeah. a specialized situation. Yep. Why is Harbaugh in the fourth quarter? And by the way, his starter was playing phenomenally well. You're yeah. oh, and okay, we tried it once. Oh, you fumbled. You're not <laughs> going back in. No, no, let's put you back in, and you fumbled again. Yes, I, I think what it comes down to is most coaches think they're smarter than they are, and they think. I know the conventional wisdom says don't do this, but you know what? I'm going to do this because I know what I'm doing. I'm the head coach of whatever. And they don't. It just it doesn't. You don't throw across your body because that's how interceptions get done. You don't, you don't throw across the middle if you can't see where the receiver is, and you don't shuttle quarterbacks in and out. You know, well, you just listen, for it. all of your uh for all of your anguish, yet again, yeah. as a Michigan fan. How yeah. would you have liked to have been a diehard Penn State fan watching the Illinois uh, game? Did you uh, watch any of that? I did. I did. For yeah, those I, of you who don't follow follow college football, who are already now in a coma or have signed off, um, <laughs> the, the, this is also a, in my view, a completely ridiculous way to resolve games. But basically, now in college football, they play two normal overtimes where the rules are essentially the same as the NFL, where if whoever scores a touchdown first wins, right? Well, a, everyone, well, sure. In other words, everyone's guaranteed to possess a possession, right? Correct. So if Correct. you go and you kick a field goal, the other team gets the ball, they kick a field goal. It goes on. If the other team gets the ball, scores a touchdown, then, and the same thing, you can't right. end it on the first possession. However, right. after this first two overtimes, the teams then take turns attempting to score essentially two point conversions from the two. <laughs> Is that where they spot the ball? Yes. And Penn State 
and Illinois. Now, Illinois is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. Yes. Um, no business even being in a game where Sean Clifford, Penn State's starting quarterback, was a shell of himself. He's injured. It doesn't matter. Penn State has more talent on their bench. They went to nine overtimes because neither of the – I guarantee you, Chad, I think you and I, if they had handed to us – like just go out there and the wing T I could have maybe gimped yeah. my way in. They Penn state scored once in yeah. seven tries from yeah. the two. Yep. It yep. became, so, I'm not even a huge, twice. I'm not even a huge Penn state fan. Like I kind of marginally yeah. root for them, but I don't yeah. care if they lose. Yeah. It became so excruciating. I just wanted it to end. I was I was vicariously embarrassed for everyone that was playing in that game. It was unbelievable. And and you should have been embarrassed. That was it should never have come to overtime. Penn State should never have allowed much like Michigan should never allow Michigan State to get back in that game. They should have kept it off reach. Illinois is horrid and they won it, it you forgot the, the key point. The starting quarterback for that game for Illinois got hurt and they had to bring in the backup who got hurt earlier in the season to win the game. And he won the game with the backup quarterback. Chad, who is the, um, nine overtimes. <laughs> uh, okay. Who is the guy from the Lord of the Rings movie movies? I always forget who this, what this guy's name is. He was the, um, like the overseer of Gondor who loses his mind and tries to burn his son to death. Remember that? Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, so the reason I bring that up, because it seems to be a bit of a tangent, is it, <laughs> I can just imagine if, let's say, a Nick Saban coached team had gone seven times attempting to score a two-point conversion and failed, he would have immediately taken all the players, had them lashed to like a Viking boat, and set it himself and the team on fire as they went out to sea, going to Valhalla. Like, that would be it. Just cannot cannot exist in this world with that level of ineptitude. We must all just burn burn ourselves, right? I don't know how James Franklin, who the rumors are, is now angling for the USC job. And I think a lot of Penn State fans would say, bon voyage, go ahead. Um, I've never seen anything like that. I really haven't. It was incredible. Well, I don't – you're probably sitting there as a Penn State – even James Franklin's probably sitting there going, how did, how did this happen? How are we in this situation? We, we had aspirations for a national championship – we were highly ranked a couple of weeks ago. We lost to Iowa. Well, what happened how is that, okay, you know how it happened. They lost to Iowa. They were dominating that game, and Sean Clifford got knocked out. And apparently yeah. their backup quarterback, who had maybe, I don't know, had eight snaps in a real game, um, yeah. is terrible. And yeah. so Iowa's defense is very good, and they just completely overran them. I mean, yeah. honestly, that game for Penn State, it really didn't matter. If they had continued to win, it almost would just be a blip on the radar screen. Clifford, I actually think they made a terrible mistake putting him in the game against Illinois, but it shows you how desperate they are because their backup is so terrible. Now, the guy that was their backup is now playing for what? Kentucky? Kentucky. Yes. So they're so terrible on the depth chart at QB that they're putting in Sean Clifford, who couldn't run, who could barely throw the ball 20 or 30 yards because against Illinois, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. They basically put Ben Roethlisberger in the game at 39 years old. 
Well, oh, no, Ben Roethlisberger would have found a way to score uh, after the sixth two-point conversion. I mean, it was, it was, that might have been one of the worst games in Penn State history. Well, it's, it's not going to go down as a uh, high point. It's not going to be in their highlight reel for the year. I'm sure of that. Uh, I don't Wherever know. Wherever Joe Moorhead is, where is Joe Moorhead right now? I do not know. He's, he's in the mix to, if, they, if Franklin leaves, but I don't know where he's at right well, now. Well, no, but so Joe Moorhead, for those that don't know, was the offensive coordinator when Penn State had um, Barkley and they had um, Trace McSorley, and their offense was, uh, let's just say, they lost to USC in the Rose Bowl 52 to 49. And now Penn State is uh, having difficulty scoring a two point conversion with seven tries. It was, it was, it was really horrific. Uh, Joe Moorhead's at uh, uh, Oregon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, so, uh, Michigan stinks. Penn State stinks. Well, Michigan doesn't stink, but they did what we expected of them. And uh, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia already locks to make the playoffs. So the playoff, the only question is who's going to be the fourth team? Right now it's Cincinnati, and I don't think that can last. <laughs> I think when they start ranking them based on quality of opponents, that, that's going to go downhill for them. Michigan doesn't stink. To this point, uh, Harbaugh has not beaten anybody good. Well, his record his record against the teams that he needs to beat to justify getting paid ten million dollars at that university. I think he's he hasn't beaten Ohio State ever, right? Nope, correct. And I think his record against the Spartans is also uh, is it's like it's bad. two and six or something. Yeah, he, he's he's just he doesn't get it done against the in-state rivals, the biggest rival with Ohio state. He doesn't get it done there. And he he's mixed with Penn state, which is the other rival. <clears throat> and anybody ranked, he doesn't win on the road. He doesn't win. And he doesn't win at home. 10 most of the time against big rivals. I don't know what the problem is. He, he, they'll get, they'll get nine wins this year, maybe 10, but so what, you know, they're, they're not going to be in the mix for anything. And this has been my, my, complaint with Harbaugh from the beginning. You haven't won anything anywhere ever. What, what is your point? Why, why are you so revered? Because you haven't won win something. And then we can talk. See in a world Chad, where if I really wanted to make, make you suffer now, this is, this possibility has been ruled out, but I think the world in which you would, um, you would have to be confined to a padded room is if, Mike Tomlin went to Michigan and Jim Harbaugh went to coach the Steelers. That would be perfection. I don't know. But Mike Tomlin has already scoffed and ruled out the idea that he would ever want to go to college. But I mean, talk about uh, cranial shards from Chad. Where announced (laughs) he he he'd hear the you know the report Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. Yay! And Mike Tomlin has agreed to take over the Wolverines. Uh, The Rooney family Uh has hired Jim Harbaugh because of his success with the 49ers, that uh-huh. would be, that be would horrible. actually be a dream scenario, Chad. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, uh, that's never going to happen. So we don't have to worry about it. Tomlin will retire. His last coaching gig is the Steelers whenever that happens to be, but it, he's not going anywhere else. And the fact that they thought he might go to USC is laughable. Ryan Clark, come on. He was not going to USC. Why would he He'll get paid more at Pittsburgh and he's never getting fired. So, why would you well, leave? Yeah, I mean, and USC is no longer 
you know, obviously they've got their tradition and they've had great players and, you know, the Pete Carroll era, but USC is not one of the top five programs in the country. It might not even be one of the top 10 programs in the country, particularly if you're not enamored of California, right? You know, that's the whole thing, the glitz and the celebrities, but they haven't been a powerhouse program for years. When's the, the last time that USC was a major player was the Pete Carroll era yeah. when they yeah. won what they won two national championships, probably could have won three. They lost yeah. that incredible game to Vince young and Texas. Yep. Uh, that yep. would have been their third, but since then they haven't been. Yeah. It's they're basically it. Penn state since then. Yeah, pretty much. That's why you talk about the Moorhead coaching them against USC. So what? <laughs> They beat they beat a USC team that nobody cared about anyway. Who cares? It, it's laughable on its face. Uh, the, the teams the, the same teams are going to be in the playoff this year that were in last year. It's going to be the same old. Well, except same for Clemson. Clemson's well, having a a rare you know down season because their offense can't play. And that's fine. But Cincinnati might sneak sneak in there and they will lose. You know, Ohio State will sneak in there and they will lose. I so, want to believe that Georgia can finally slay the Alabama dragon and win because Georgia, in my view, looks like clearly the best team in the country. Their defense is uh, ridiculously good, but I'm just not convinced there's too much prior trauma with them in Alabama. And I just have to wonder, uh, I would not be willing to wager uh, more than, you know, uh, what's the Venezuelan currency, Chad? The Bolivar. I would yes. not be able to wager more than maybe three Bolivar on Georgia managing to somehow beat Alabama. Uh, th- there's some kind of psychic uh, harm there that I just I think bad things happen. I will believe you beat Alabama when you beat Alabama. Until then, I'm a skeptic. You, and you, you know what my prediction is? I predict that Georgia is going to beat Alabama in the SEC title game because they're going to play. And so they're going to roll into the playoff unbeaten. And hopefully Alabama will be in such a position where they're not the number four seed, so they don't have to play right away. And then Georgia is going to play Alabama in the national championship and lose. That is my prediction. (laughs) Well, it, it could happen. Um, it almost happened last year, but I, I don't know. If I think if Alabama loses, I don't know that they get in. If they lose the SEC title game, I don't. they'll have two losses. I don't. Know I if mean, they, they will have two losses, but it's Alabama, and they will find a way to put Nick Saban in the uh, the playoff. They're just not going to keep might. Alabama out. Because who the thing is, who else is going to go in? Okay, so Ohio uh, State's going to win out, and there'll be a one-loss team they're going in. Georgia will be in. Who Who is going to go in? What one-loss team is going in over Alabama? That's a good question. I mean, Oklahoma? I <laughs> yeah. Well, Michigan State right now is 8 now. I mean, yeah. it, it it's, ran it's the Michigan State. And you know what? The way this season's going, Penn State will wind up beating them. They probably will. They'll, they'll knock them out of a championship option in the East. I don't know. It's hard to say. We'll have to check back on that when we get closer to the uh, end of the season. we got another couple weeks before the end of the season. So anything can happen, I guess. Any more lamentations or are you done? No, that's enough. It wasn't too bad tonight, but I just I had to share that I'm not feeling better about my teams. <laughs> well, again, you know, if you would actually have more commitment to the program and stop making home renovations, then we would be able to provide, uh, yes. you know, our lovely unplanned podcast um, <laughs> in a more frequent basis. So no, I appreciate send your all of your 
uh, hate mail and uh, directly to Tony. Directly to Tony. Directly to me, right? Because I I won't read it. I'll just uh, throw it in the trash. Yeah. Chad will read every one, take it to heart, and improve yes. the program. I will do my best anyway. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.